the main argument is really that um, you, in order to solve society's or the world's problems, these wicked problems, right, as we call them, you need a system thinking mindset. Welcome to the Green Urbanist, podcast for urbanists fighting climate change. I'm Ross. Today's episode is a conversation with Alice Schmidt. Alice is an advisor, advocate and author on global sustainability and social transformation. Amongst other things, she's an advisor to organizations like the European Commission and Extinction Rebellion and lectures at Vienna University. She is the author of a new book called The Sustainability Puzzle, which explores how systems thinking, circularity, climate action and social transformation can improve health, wealth and well-being for all. In today's episode, we talk about all these topics and more. You can find links to Alice's website and her book in the podcast description. But for now, please enjoy my conversation with Alice Schmidt. Can you just start off telling us uh, a bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, so who am I? <laughs> That's a deep question, but I guess uh, professionally, um, well, I have a business background um, okay. and I started originally working you know, with companies like Coca-Cola, mm. but I very quickly realized that just selling more of a product that people don't really need uh, won't satisfy me, that there wasn't um, where I wanted to spend you know, my energy on basically, mm. so that my, my purpose was elsewhere, right? And um, I happened to be... In Australia, so I'm from Austria, but I happened to be studying in Australia and working in Australia. And then on my way back, um, I had a stopover in, in Bangkok, um, as you do. And I decided I'd use this to, to, to you know, get a bit of experience. And um, I ended up um, not just doing a bit of um, volunteering as I had initially planned, but I ended up working with UNESCO initially, sort of the, oh, right. uh, you know, the, the UN organization dealing with education and culture and science sure. um, for quite a few years. And that was an amazing experience because I was, you know, really young at the time, hmm. not even younger than now. <laughs> um, and it, it, it really exposed me to, because I worked at the regional office, so it, worked, it exposed me to countries all over Asia and the Pacific. And I, you know, initially sort of the, the entry point was, um, communications, public relations, because the UN too, obviously, uh, do public relations. But I very quickly ended up um, working on on content, right, on on social sustainability issues. Mm -hmm. That was, at the time, it was HIV and AIDS and how you get this into education curricula, convincing, you know, um, ministries, health ministries uh, across those countries, including those that were perhaps more conservative, um, uh, Muslim oriented. So yeah. that was that was um, a really interesting uh, piece. And um, I then ended up working with other UN agencies. Uh, I then also moved uh, to London, um, originally to do a degree at SOAS. Um, oh, yeah. I'm sure you know, um, because I, since since I had this business background, but then having worked in uh, sustainable development for for such a long time, I I felt I needed the theoretical foundation okay. as well. And so I took a degree in, in violence, conflict and development, in fact, and, and then ended up um, working um, with NGOs for a few years in, uh, in, in London, well, based in London, but actually all my work was across uh, West Africa. So okay. 
Um, yeah, so that's that's sort of you know how how it happened. And then about twelve years ago, I, I started my own business, and I've been working with a very diverse range of of I think fifty plus organizations in about in yeah thirty countries on four continents. And so I think what what this shows already is that it's been for me it's always been about uh, well. <laughs> I use exclamation marks, which you can't see. Um, <laughs> a horizontal career, yeah, because I, mm. I, I never was never interested in in sort of moving up the ladder in one particular sector organization. So I really wanted to work across sectors, get to know different types of institutions, different different issues, different topics, different geographies, also different levels of work, right? From from community grassroots to to um, you know working with the World Bank in policy, right? And to really understand the bigger picture. So that's where I am today. I mean, I. I I consult, um, but I, I, I see myself more as a thinker and doer. And of course, I speak and I, I've been uh, a lecturer at university on, on global sustainability for quite some time. And I also advise groups, you know, like, like Extinction Rebellion. And then like mm. you, I'm a climate ambassador uh, with the MIT En-ROADS program. Oh, wow. Um, it, it, I think that's probably good career advice is the going broad rather than going deep, especially, I suppose, in the, in, at the beginning of your career. Exactly. I mean, that's that's how it felt to me. I really wanted to to understand what I what I don't like, right? What I don't mm. want to do with my with my life. I mean, I, I think I was lucky in a way to realize early on that you know, sort of hard nosed business wasn't my thing. Right. Okay. Um, and for, for other people, I think it takes longer, which is totally fine. Um, but for me, I, I almost went the other way because then about ten years ago, you know, when 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 the SDGs were being formulated, um, you know, following the NDGs, which had completely left the important role of businesses um, out. Oh, um, okay. I, I actually also decided to bridge my business background more with my um, sort of, you know, sustainable development or development, a development corporation background. And um, that's been that's been a really interesting, interesting, interesting journey, right? Um, because I do find a lot of people working in sustainability have either or, right? Um, and so it's quite useful. I mean, you, you need you need, you need these, these these specialists, right? But but I think you do also need uh, the bigger picture people uh, that you know the system thinkers uh, that that sort of see the connections. Um, yeah. So that's me in a nutshell. And and maybe um, I mean this isn't exactly urban design, but my secret love is really architecture. So that's oh really <laughs> a lot of a lot of my free time on yeah. Well, you you live in Vienna, right? I do, which is just a stunningly beautiful city and just amazing architecture. I, I love it. Yeah, so you've been there. I have. I visited a few years ago, and just yeah, I was really surprised actually by how uh, the neoclassical architecture and the Greek influences. Um, yeah, it's sort of. It, I always think um, the main. Uh, you know, grand buildings in a city really tell you when that uh, civilization was at its peak in terms of empire and, and things like that. Um, well, absolutely. And with Vienna, that's very interesting, of course, because we have this huge city hall, right? Yeah. In a city of only 2 million people, but that's a uh, testimony <laughs> of the past, right? When we were the capital of, of um, Austria-Hungary. Yeah. Well, anyway. There you go. Bit of, we like to go on tangents occasionally. <laughs> um, do you think your your business background... You know what? What sort of skills do you think from that part of your your education, your your uh, working life, has helped you push forward the sustainability uh, agenda? Well, I think it's partly thinking, um, what, thinking in these terms, right? I'm understanding the language. It's also a certain degree, I guess, of efficiency of, mm. of getting things done. 
Um, it's not being afraid of numbers. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also talking about costs. I mean, I don't claim to understand all of it and or to be an economist or an expert in economy, but I think um, you know, the things are so related, um, and that that's just really important um, to 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 understand where businesses are coming from, right? Um, to understand that what their goals are, but then to see what the entry points can be in convincing them to to go broader and deeper, and also. Uh, look at their purpose and uh, their uh, responsibility for societal progress. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll. I'll um, one thing you didn't mention is that you've just released a new book, which is uh, <laughs> the sustainability puzzle. And I'd love to ask you about that next. Um, can you just tell us a bit? I mean, as I said, I've just started reading it. I'm really enjoying it so far. But can you just tell us what it's about and what are the sort of main arguments in it? Definitely. And yes, I mean, so this really has the sustainability puzzle has been my, my baby that I've been <laughs> carrying around for quite some time. And um, what really helped um, helped it seeing the day of light was actually collaboration with um, my co-author, Claudia Winkler, who is uh, a business executive turned impact entrepreneur. And um, we're very complimentary. And, and so, you know, this has been a really interesting collaboration basically throughout the past uh, year, you know, COVID and all of that. Um, so the main argument is really that um, you, in order to solve society's or the world's problems, these wicked problems, right, as we call them, you need a system thinking mindset. Yeah? And you need to understand the bigger picture. And, and you know, a lot of people think that just because they have a hammer, um, they can address every problem with it. So that every <laughs> problem is a nail, yeah, to paraphrase um, Abraham Maslow. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's about why we must zoom out and how to zoom out and understand the bigger picture of unsustainability, so to speak, first, before then zooming in on the specific issues, but also the solutions that we have already. So those puzzle pieces, yeah, and they mm-hmm. are climate action, circularity, social economy, social justice and fairness, equity, uh, but then, of course, also responsive consumption, um, as well as sort of, you know, business for good or whatever that means, right? So the, the, the contribution of businesses. And then also addressing this question of um, is technology going to save us, right? Because mm. a lot of people, I think, really are hopeful that this will this will be the case. Um, and so it's it's really this 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 um, zooming out, but then zooming in. Um, okay. And um, I think what we also make clear is that one reason why uh, a reductionist approach does not help is um, because it actually often causes you to create more problems mm. than you solve, right? So, for example, when you blindly apply electric mobility as a solution without actually thinking about where this electricity comes from, right? Yeah. How these cars will be powered, uh, but also forgetting about the metals and minerals that are required, um, mm. you know, to, 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 to build these cars, batteries and so on, the lithium that requires lots of water, which is then sort of extracted in, in already drought-prone regions. So, um it's that, that's why this is this is sort of yeah this is the main argument really and and a central part is also that we need to get the pricing right right that mm. um i mean you're familiar with the concept of carbon price of course but but also more broadly to just take into account the cost of unsustainability because that's not done right mm. um plus we're stopping well plus we were um heavily subsidizing the fossil fuel industry and yeah. um, i think it's 6.5 percent of global gdp that's actually spent on 
subsidizing dirty fossil fuels, right? Wow. Um, and, and, and by these, we actually cause more costs to the system because that means early death, that means um, you know, health issues, which then the taxpayer has to cover through, a, uh, through the, the, the public health system. Yeah. Um, so um, just redirecting this would be, would be very, very powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and one other thing that, um, that, that sort of comes out that we, I feel quite strongly and, and that also has that I've seen in, in loads of different organizations that I've worked with. I mean, right now I work a lot with European Commission, but also with the World Bank, with the UN agencies, with NGOs, but also with, with, with private companies. Um, it's, it's that they're so, you know, professionalized. People are so professionalized. Um, yeah. There's so much specialization that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, but it completely blinds us to these cross-cutting areas. Um, it, 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 you know, and we've, we've also pri- in, in the private life, right? We have, in our private lives, we have forgotten what it's like to, to build a house or to grow vegetables or to, to, to basically stuff ourselves. So we're dependent on others, which is great uh, because that's what community is about. But um, in the end, we, we, we do need to be able to break out of these silos if we want to solve uh, the world's problems. Yeah, yeah it, it's exactly the same problem within the, the built environment, within in urbanism. You have, you know, policy planners, you have architects, you have landscape uh, architects, uh, sustainability experts, and often they're pushing against each other, trying to go in one direction and, mm-hmm. and not in a sense the system isn't in place to allow them to cra- collaborate fruitfully um, exactly you know so often people will sit in their in their box and 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 only push in one direction which is i'm, I'm not really sure what the what the solution to that is do you know of any any good uh, ways of combating that well i think i mean it depends a bit on where this comes from right because i think well at least in my experience sometimes this is really down to sort of turf wars but often mm. it's also just lack of understanding uh, but also it's particularly in the public sector i mean that's how yeah. budgets are made right they are given to either health or education or the green deal right um and and to 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 move across this is super hard uh, and I really think it's 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 a sort of generational uh, thing. I mean, to to break down the silos, I think for well, we probably have to start with education early on. Mm-hmm. And I think um, you know we, we today we speak a lot about um, climate change. Uh, so uh, I mean, I think it wasn't it the the Dasgupta review in the UK recently that recommended that every student uh, should just take a uh, basic or course in basic ecology. Mm. Um, so I think that would really would really help. And um, and at the same time, you know, having worked in global health a lot, um, I mean, health is not an issue for the health sector, right? It's a se- it's an issue that has to do with how I don't know tobacco trade is regulated. Mm. It has to do with um, industry interests and sugar and all of that. It has to do with the air we breathe. It has to do with sports. It has to do with everything. Yeah. And and it's, I think it's really getting people mentally to move outside the silos. But of course, practically, how do you do that? I think it's, it's um, much more collaboration, much more education, uh, much more also celebration of, of positive examples. Mm. Um, and perhaps that, I mean, that's, that brings me to the other main, uh, or an, another important argument in our uh, book, which is this optimism, right? Um, at some point, we even uh, thought about calling it the optimist puzzle. <laughs> uh, that's partly because um, you know it, it, it was 
born out of a optimist cafe format, which we'd been running um, when the when the COVID pandemic hit. But it's it's really this you can do it because if you take if you tell people that it's not possible, then you know they're not going to do it. Yeah. And and it's really about showing people what's what's in it for them, right? Yeah. And, and also this. This this multi solving is creating win wins um, as 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 the climate interactive people also talk about. Mm. Yeah, can you tell us a bit about this the the optimist cafe? I'm I'm really intrigued by this. <laughs> well, I mean, it was really um, uh, and again, this goes um, back also to my to my course at Claudia Winkler. Um, was very entrepreneurial, right? And mm. and um, she never sees problems. I mean, I'm a bit more <laughs> uh, balanced, perhaps sometimes. But um, so it was, you know, people were really really down when when the the, the the pandemic hit here, and and you know when I mean now we're so used to it. I think we we almost forget how how much of a change it was, yeah. right? Um, but there was also this immediate feeling that I very much had that, you know, every, well, not every crisis is an opportunity, uh, but many crises, most crises are an opportunity. And, and if nothing else, um, this crisis shouldn't have been in vain, right? And mm. anyway, so this, this Optimist Cafe is very quite a spontaneous affair. We posted it on LinkedIn. People joined and we had people from, you know, lots of different countries um, in Europe and beyond to, to come and speak about their, um, you know, special sort of puzzle piece in a way, right? Okay. Whether that was um, sustainable agriculture or, or or circularity, and and it was very sort of lively, safe space, something to to look forward to every every Friday morning. Uh, it was, and it was also very very informal, right? It was really this coffee. We we're having coffees, and sometimes we experimented a bit, and um, and you know, did little exercise exercises together. And a lot of people have asked us when when we're going to continue. <laughs> so yeah, this might be on the cards. I'll let you know. Great. No, it's a great it's a great idea. Um, I want I want to come back to this topic of systems thinking, which is something that fascinates me. And I will when this podcast comes out, this episode comes out, I will have released uh, my own introduction to systems thinking uh, episode, which is based Wonderful. a little bit on my own just on my own reading and my own. I'm on the beginning of my journey in understanding the the systems thinking approach. Um. So I want, I would love to hear from you, you know, what, why is it that this is so important? And maybe you can give us some practical examples of, you know, how you, you apply that in your work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, well, so, I mean, first of all, I should say that I've learned over the past years that um, some people are born system thinkers and mm. others are not, Right. Personally, because I'm a system thinker, I always, I, I really very naively perhaps assumed that everyone thought like this or, okay. or, or to put it differently. I, I was always very surprised when people just, um, you know, really just focused on their yeah, own yeah, yeah. issue, their own solution. And I couldn't understand it until <laughs> I realized it. So maybe I'm late. I'm a, you know, I'm naive. Uh, I was naive. Um, but I think this, this, is, this is important to, to understand, right? For some people, it comes natural and they do it and it happens. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I'm not. I'm not saying you know the people that aren't system thinkers are are, are, are worse. I think it's it's we need both, right? It's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Contribution we need. So, um, I mean, what is it? Well, nothing basically happens in in isolation, right? Um, and so, system thinking is really the only way to understand problems we're facing, particularly the large, complex problems. I mean, there are simple problems for which you don't need system thinking, right? Mm -hmm. um, but all these wicked problems this complexity um, by definition cannot be just solved it can be addressed 
Yeah, but um, so basically, you you push beyond the immediate problem and 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 look at the the underlying patterns. Yeah, uh, and you look at um, how different factors combine to make something better or worse or different. Right, um, and what I I like to think of this toolbox that system thinkers have at hand, right, um, where they explicitly look for interconnectedness for connections mm. for links right between different issues where they move away from this linear thinking to much more sort of circular approach um where they i mean i've mentioned this but i think this is really important where they stop um thinking and working in silos on sectors mm. just because someone at some point defined them that way right yeah where it's not about looking at the parts but about the holes of you know, the entire puzzle in its entirety. Um, it's about synthesis. Um, first, I mean, first you need the, you do need the analysis, but then you need the synthesis. Um, and and I think this toolbox is 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 really handy. Um, yeah, and I mean, why is it important, or what are practical examples? Um, I mean, first of all, the the world is a mess, and that's natural, right? I mean, the world is messy, and that's fine. But we need to recognize this. And uh, we can't address the main um, issues, particularly those main global issues today, um, without applying a very broad lens. I mean, right. some people, I think, you know, having always worked internationally, that's one, of the other, that's one of the other things that took me a long time to understand, is that some people just focus on their country or their, their, their region or their city or their neighborhood. And again, that's needed. But it, we also need, you know, this, this again, this bigger picture. Yeah. Um, and um, and sometimes, I mean, I think it's really uh, to ensure that the good is not in the way of the great. Yeah, solutions mm. can be great. Um, you know, this electric mobility example that I mentioned, but even just just very simply, I mean, you know, these 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 compostable plastic cups, right? Um, I, I mean, I I, res- I I try to refuse. Well, I refuse any sort of single-use plastic if I ever possibly can. But the other day I was somewhere and I basically was handed this plastic cup and I was like, oh my God, now what am I doing with this? I don't, even, I don't feel comfortable, right? And then I looked at it and I actually have it right here because I find it uh, fascinating. So um, it says it's climate neutral. It says it's all free. It says it's compostable and it says it, it's recyclable. Okay. Right? And that might all, might all be true. Um it's um, you know it has number seven, which which means that it's sort of made from um, from natural um, well materials. Okay. And in theory, it's probably compostable, um, but not that doesn't mean you can actually throw it uh, on mm. your what do you call it like the compost heap, right? Yeah. That it's not gonna work there. I mean, my partner and I are actually having an experiment on that. Yeah, with all these products that claim to be compostable. Um, at the same time, I know that in the local recycling system here i can't just you know recycle it with plastic so what do i do yes um <laughs> and, and and this just basically is, is one example um that shows we need to think about the entire system right yeah. we need um it, it's great that someone produces compostable plastic but then we need to know how to recycle it what yeah. to do with it um yeah, and 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 I think again, it's it it helps us find this. In the end, it helps us find these win wins, these win win wins, right? Um, um, and and it also helps us uh, helps us to get people to understand the positive aspects of changing their behavior. I mean, you know, in in urban settings, we often talk about 
mobility, walking, cycling, right? And and this is great. Um, but for some people, it sort of the, the message stops there, right? Mm. You should not take your car. But actually, when when we uh, tell them that walking or cycling improves both their you know their fitness or so their physical health, it improves their mental health. Uh, it also means that there can be more that more green space can be added. Yeah? It also means that they cost the taxpayer less. It means they'll, uh, if you know, lots of people do this, there'll be more money for for I don't know investing in beautiful parks um, or or bicycle lanes or whatever it is. Sort of to to to. So I really think system thinking helps us to. Um, well, yeah, to 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 understand the positive uh, mm. impact, that then make it easier to communicate uh, these kind of things to people. Yeah, have have yeah. you found in your your obviously we've worked internationally in in Asia and Africa, also Europe? Do you find different? Um, uh, how do I phrase this properly? S- sort of different cultures embrace systems thinking more than others. Oh, well, that's a very big question. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's 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 perhaps hard to answer without you know a specific statement. But sure. what's 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 I think very clear is that this uh, the way we live today, the the modern world, of course, has removed us from being close to nature as mm. a system, right? And what you have to explain to children today who sometimes only know nature, you know, through an app or from the computer is still very, very obvious, I think, to children in other places, particularly right. in developing countries. And this whole circularity thing, right? I mean, we, we have amazing uh, recycling systems, partly, um, if that. Um, but um, it's something that needs to be set up, that needs to be explained. Whereas in 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 you know poor countries, I mean Africa, you see this all the time, where you know waste, the concept of waste um, is a very very different one, right? Mm. I mean waste is a is a is a societal uh, uh, concept, um, and and a lot of what we consider waste is 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 very much precious resource, right? Uh, um, for people elsewhere, so the upcycling, the reuse, the the avoiding of waste becomes very very natural, I think, to to people elsewhere. And I don't know if if, if you know, we can, we can now call them system thinkers, um, but I think it's 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 sort of. I do think this this that we in in the West or whatever we want to call it, right? The global North, the West, mm. whatever um, is is sort of the most politically correct. Um, um, we are really blinded to all of this, so we've lost mm. a lot of this. And and by the way, a few generations ago, we had it, right? I mean, I don't think um, I don't know. Uh, you know, my parents or. Yeah, I mean, it was normal to have your shoes fixed, right? Yeah. It was normal to, to take care of things. It was normal to buy something, expect it to be of high quality and no, um, um, uh, no, well, I don't know, a shirt producer, for lack of a different example, in, 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 in their right mind would have deliberately produced something that's, that's of poor quality, right? Yeah. Sort of this whole consumerism thing i mean that's clearly in asia already and it's it's clearly in in africa too but but it's not quite taken on the proportions that that that, that it has in you know in europe and, and the us mm. um so i think there's a lot of lear- a lot we can learn from from developing countries mm. and yeah that's 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 yeah, very well said um i want to come back to this idea about um 
the you, you mentioned the the win win wins or the multi solving where taking action on climate change is also can also be taking action to improve quality of life and health, um, and that's something that I try to weave through, you know, my podcast episodes as well, particularly in urban areas where health issues like um, air pollution and uh, sedentary living in the West are very very apparent. Mm. Can you expand on that a, a little bit? What what do you think are the the sort of uh, key key winning uh, key places where we can get these wins. Well, I mean, I think it's partly. I mean, one example that that uh, comes is, of course, um, that uh, for example, uh, you know, renewable energy, uh, and particularly in the early stages, um, the sort of production of renewable energy um, requires a lot of people, right? So that's mm. good in terms of job creation. Yeah. Sort of there's this so that and, and you know coming back to the triple bottom line essentially you have then the economic benefit you have the social benefit and you have the environmental benefit if it's done well right okay. with a, a sort of system a lens I I I think it's also the sharing I mean the sharing economy is a lot of different things right and 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 there are pros and cons and a lot of what is called sharing isn't exactly different from, from renting or from you know what used to be called renting like you know we all know the issues with with airbnb and uber and so on mm. but but this this idea of sharing i think is a, is a simple one again but but it's it's great because you know i don't need to own my uh lawnmower or my car or my whatever machine uh, if i can actually borrow it from neighbors and you know thereby again benefit the sort of the, the, the social by you know engaging more with my community mm. it saves me money so there's an economic argument um and of course it's also much better from a resource use uh, environmental point of view yeah um i i, I think this is, a, this is a big one right um also but also for, for example the, the repair economy right mm. i mean at the moment these are these are repair cafes and things exist, right? Um, but they're not, I mean, for, for obvious sort of, well, how should I say? Because economic is the, is the wrong term um, for uh, reasons that are due to the financial incentives and structures that we've built into our society. Yeah? They're not uh, so much in demand. But I mean, how often, I don't know about you, but how often, you know, does a... a something break that I would love to continue using, yes. but personally, I can't repair it, right? Yeah, yeah. And by actually taking it somewhere to have it repaired, I benefit the person that's repairing it, with, who is not part of a large global chain. Very often, it's actually a person, you know, that might have come from some reintegration project, which is, you know, has an additional social benefit. It saves me money. It saves me trouble. It's it's just, there's so many wins, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, but, but yeah, I think we, we just have to get more people to understand this. Yeah, yeah, and I imagine there's, I mean, the the global corporations the that are producing lots of new products are probably pushing back against this quite Heavily strongly. Heavily so, and with loads of money. I mean, it's, mm. it's it's very very hard to to really to push against that. Um, you know, the, all those marketing dollars, and and I mean, these entrenched structures, right? That are there, um, are just are just are just not easy to break up. Um, because it does need a completely different way of thinking, right? Um, and and yeah, the paradigm shift, right? We talk about paradigm shifts a lot because that's that's what's needed. But I, I I think once people start engaging, they do realize that it's it's it doesn't make their lives worse, but it actually makes their lives better. Because we know, you know, until until a certain um, 
uh, a threshold, which is, I think, around $30,000 or euros or pounds mm. per year, people do get happier with more income. Right. Uh, then they don't. And they get happier um, through better social connections and through, uh, you know, um, um, more time spent in nature. And um, so this sort of this 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 running after after money and this GDP growth and stuff is mm. is, is is a fascinating one, right? I mean, a lot is happening. I think in terms of um, changing the way we measure progress, uh, and you know, this this sort of um, gross national happiness, yeah. which which of course we all know from Bhutan, but uh, but also, I mean, you know, the OECD has done a lot of work on that. Several mayors have done work around that. And I think this has to be pushed much more. Uh, yeah. This, this, this is definitely part of the, this, this, this yeah, the solutions. I'm, I'm sure you've, you're aware of the donut economics yes. uh, concept. <laughs> you yeah. actually mentioned in the book as well. Oh, okay, yeah. great. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I love that. And one of the things, well, one of the big arguments of, of that book, Donut Economics, is that we need to change what our goal is of an economy yeah. you know this simple thing of chasing after gdp at all costs you know look at it and in the big picture it clearly hasn't been working um, exactly and there's a lot of great evidence presented in that book of just you know it's really we've all bought into this it's almost become an ideology but actually it's very nonsensical when you look at the evidence no absolutely absolutely and you know what's fascinating um Simon Kuznet, who actually um, was the person who worked with, I think it was the U.S. Congress at the time, to define the GDP, himself said that the GDP isn't suitable for measuring societal progress. Oh, wow. He, he actually said that it was, um, you know, for something else. And, it, and, and you know, it's, 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 it's fine to measure, um, yeah, to, to, to sort of to use the GDP as a measure, but um, I think somewhere in the process, it became the only measure. Yeah. And that's, of course, completely wrong, right? I mean, what's, what's beautiful about the GDP is that, you, that you know, every country uses it, so you can compare uh, quite easily. Right. A lot of people understand it. But, but by all means, <laughs> you need additional measures as well that really look at what makes people happy. And, and I mean, and the, these, um, these measures, of course, exist. Um, but but none of them at the moment comes close to to, to having the, the the prominence, the fame, the the, yeah. the, the support right of the GDP. Yeah, yeah. So something else that that uh, is brought up in that book is the circular economy. It's the idea of moving this um, our global economy, the the huge you know challenge of moving the global economy towards more circularity. That's something mm -hmm. you talk about in your book as well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean circularity. <sighs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very important uh, piece of the puzzle. Um, and again, um, I mean, to me, it's not something new necessarily. We used to yeah. think that way, right? Yeah. Other people still think that way in other <clears throat> countries. It's just it's just us in this sort of modern global civilization that have forgotten about it. Um, and I mean, it's 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 a useful concept partly, well, partly because the moment you start talking about risks, yeah, um, to businesses two global corporations in particular, the moment you talk about, you know, the resources they need potentially being finite, well, being finite and potentially becoming more expensive or harder to obtain, you know, even for geopolitical reasons, um, they start listening. And mm. I think that that's what the um, MacArthur Foundations and others have, have really managed well um, when, when getting this, this understood. Um, yeah. And, and, I, and another thing that perhaps relates to that. Um, which, which, which I do want to talk about, right? Because we, we, we talk about, uh, which I also mentioned in the book, but um, 
we, we need to understand when, when talking about win-wins, but also when talking about the circular economy, is these um, uh, ecosystem services, right, that mm. the planet is providing. Um, and um, it's, 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 it's interesting because it uses a business language, right? It uses services and all of that. Um, but, but essentially, the planet is providing three types of services, right? And there are these so-called provisioning services, which include providing food or you know, building material like wood or medicines, energies, so sun, whatever, fibers, mm. right? And there are the regulating services, which includes a climate regulation, but it, which also includes water filtration and waste decomposition and crop pollination, right, through bees, disease control. Um, and then thirdly, cultural services, so the more aesthetic, spiritual, personal mm. growth things we get out of the planet. And I think this is and, and essentially for the longest time, it's actually served humanity well to abuse those services, right. Right? To, to, to use them. Um, without considering much um, what the implications of this is. But we are now at a point where it no longer benefits us, where actually um, life expectancy um, may be going down even, right? I mean, for this was this is one right. of the great measures of, of, of societal progress was life expectancy. Um, you, you manage to feed people, you're, you're, you know, people are healthy, so they live long. And, and that reflects technology and all sorts of things. Uh, but now this is actually uh, starting to reverse, Mm. And so it's very much in our interest to, to protect that. Um, and of course, the, 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 the resources, right, that uh, we, we talk about when we talk about circular economy are, are very, very much uh, part of that. Yeah, it's, it's, I think what people struggle with, with with circular economy idea is that it's such a mindset shift away from the way we currently do things. Mm. Um, you know, if you think about a, a typical industrial process, it's, you know, extract materials, produce a product, send it out into the marketplace, and then the waste just goes somewhere else that we, where we don't want to think about it. Uh, and, and, and more and more, you know, the waste from Europe is getting, or certainly from the UK, is getting shipped to Africa, where mm. it's sort of, you know, we sort of wash our hands of it and say, well, it's, it's, we, we've put it away somewhere else, someone else will deal with it. Um, and it's just when you step back and think about the, the inherent insanity of that whole process, it, it, it does make you realize that circular circularity even though it's in it sounds new to us actually makes perfect sense when you consider the natural cycle it's something that you know everything in nature is circular there's no waste in nature exactly <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah and so this just like you say right this take make waste paradigm is, mm. is, is just, it, it's quite absurd and, and the argument that um, we often hear is well convenience right, right. we want to just throw things away and it's so convenient but actually, uh, I personally don't find it convenient <laughs> to have to sort through all this um, rubbish or, mm. you know, what, what, what um, may be a resource, but what at the moment looks like waste and take it somewhere. I don't find it convenient to have to buy, I don't know, new shoes every yeah. few months because my old ones break down. Um, and uh, so, so this is something I think we really, really, um, yeah, must move away from. Of course, that without addressing these sort of entrenched structures, you know, this, this, the, the inbuilt incentives, um, also this uh, the power, um, the, the disproportionate power of corporations vis-a-vis -vis, uh, national governments or, or city governments even. Uh, uh, we, won't, we won't get there, right? Okay. This is, so sort of this incentive structure is so strong. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's people often ask me, because I also teach at the university and, and, and students often ask me, so, you know, 
who is it now who has the responsibility to make the world a better place? And then mm. it's obviously so consumers can do a lot, right? <laughs> Activists can do a lot, um, but um, without the governments and the businesses, we're not we're not going to get there. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 yeah. not enough. It's it's unfair to expect consumers. I mean, as a consumer, you can make better choices, but overall, that only reduces the level of harm, you know, by a few percentage. It's 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 almost impossible for someone in Europe to live a zero carbon lifestyle because they just Absolutely. don't have the options. And so that's where governments and, and large businesses has to come in and 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 make it that lifestyle yeah. a possibility for us. Well, absolutely. And, and, and yet, um, you know, they suffer from, you know, the microplastic that they drink and the and the pollution, you know, the, the polluted air they breathe. And, and, and one of the arguments, you know, we hear is, well, um, it's just, to exp- for example, taking the, the, mm. the case of the mobile phone, right? We know that almost the entire um, periodic system um, is, you know, of elements is, is, is in this phone, right? <laughs> Yet at the moment, um, so it's possible to recycle it. It's possible to take these out. But, um, you know, apparently it's just about worth uh, one euro, one pound. Uh, okay. Yeah? So that's an argument for saying, um, well, you know what? It's not worth it. But mm. this is, for me, this is a completely different, uh, completely wrong approach. Well, then you need to just change the the, the, the pricing structures, right? The prices need to start reflecting the real value of a service and of right. a good. And this requires a huge paradigm shift. And I think so the, the question really is going to be, are we going to be quick enough? Is this paradigm shift going to be quick enough? Or, you know, will, I don't know, a lot of people or perhaps even our entire um, civilization <laughs> go down before? As I said, I'm an optimist. <laughs> but but, uh, but I, I really, um, I really, I think this sort of, um, self-interest argument is an important one. People need to start understanding mm. that they're harming themselves already, mm. right? And that it's already having a negative impact. It's not just something for the future. It's something that's hitting them right now, right there. Um, and, you know, in some places more than others, of course. And, of course, in developing countries, people are more affected of or they have to have their less resilient sometimes, right? Because they have fewer choices yeah. um, to, to, to deal with something. Um, like a, you know, like a natural. Well, we call them natural catastrophes, but many of them are actually, you know, human influenced mm. natural catastrophes, like floodings or landslides yeah. or whatever. Um, so I think the language also needs to change. <laughs> uh, that's 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 something. And 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 coming back to the education point, this um, the uh, just this basic ecology, this basic understanding of nature, but also the experience of nature, yeah. right? Because too many people still think that we're saving the planet for the planet's sake. They don't understand yes. that, that there's, we're saving our own asses. I'm sorry <laughs> for my language, <laughs> but but it's, it, that's really what it is. Yes, I, to- I totally agree. I think the language around that is really important because often you hear people talk about saving the planet or killing the planet. And actually, that's just not, that's just false. I mean, the planet if humans disappear tomorrow, the planet will happily keep revolving for another billion years. So we we need to we need to, as you say, put it in a self interested uh, perspective and say actually we need to save ourselves because all we're doing right now is harming ourselves. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly yeah. it. And I think air pollution is one uh, example that sometimes um, sort of is a wake up call for people mm-hmm. because once they hear that twenty thousand people die each day right from air pollution, that's about seven million per year. Wow, that's a lot. Incredible. I mean that's 
many more that have died from COVID so far. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it just happens. And and um and uh, it's also it's not just you know the people die. People get very very sick. Yeah. Um, because air pollution actually affects not just the lungs but also you know all other vital organs pretty much. And um, there needs to be much more understanding of of, of these kind of issues, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think air quality is is a particularly insidious one because, you know, we we, we all have a certain amount of control over our behaviors, what we eat, uh, how we exercise, uh, whether we smoke, whether we drink alcohol. Mm. But if the air you breathe is dirty, there's nothing you can do about that. Um, yeah. Except, I suppose, wear a, a filter mask, but you can't do that 24-7 either. So Exactly. And it's similar, you know, with, I don't know, dirty water or, yeah. or um, food that's full of pesticides, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I think I think um, food is another way to reach people. Mm. Um, you know, because because people a lot of more people do care about what they eat. Um, of course, that's partly an affordability question, but I but yeah. it's not that entirely. Um, yeah. So again, I think <laughs> I think we can we keep coming to the point, right? It's really it's really to, to, to show people what's in it for them mm. to not expect people to act in an altruistic way. I mean, that's nice. And a lot of people do. And a lot of people, um, you know, I don't know, see it as an ethical kind of responsibility to, to, to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, to again, exp- exclam- exclamation marks. No, not exclamation marks. Um, uh, quote marks. <laughs> thank you. Quote marks. Um, <laughs> Um, to save the planet, yeah. Um, but some people need different incentives, and if that's yeah. um, you know saving their own lives, saving their quality of life, um, their health, their wealth, their well-being, um, which is the subtitle of our book, uh, <laughs> then they need to. Uh, they need, yeah. This this argument just really helps. Yeah. yeah this self-interest argument. So a few minutes ago, you mentioned off off the cuff about the potential end of civilization, <laughs> which is also something yeah. you, you begin your book with. What, yeah. uh, please expand a little bit on that. What what do you mean? Yeah, I mean, well, I love I love um, these kind of uh, figures, right? So um, someone from the University of Oxford calculated that um, it's sort of the average lifespan of a civilization is uh, 336 years, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. <laughs> doesn't sound and like very long. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like very long at all, right? And, and, um, and I, I mean, I think this is, it, well, I think this is a very real risk, right? Other civilizations have died. Um, you know, the, 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 the ancient Greeks, the Romans, I mean, they had amazing achievements. They were in some ways, you know, ahead of us. Yeah. And um, but 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 sort of the the greatness doesn't protect you from 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 um, collapse, mm. and it's and I think I would also argue that this this um, this um, hybris right that this this feeling that we're invincible we're the most amazing uh, civilization that's ever existed, mm. um, which I think a lot of people feel um, is actually blinding us to the very real risks that we're facing yeah and and i mean i i think we, we shouldn't get up on the civilization collapse per se because then we can start defining what's a civilization what's an empire right mm. but um but oh you know could it even be humanity entirely right that goes i mean it's it's, it's a possibility um but even if it's just 
one village, right? And, and this mm. happens because of, say, rising sea levels, right? Uh, or some countries that are, are yeah. very much affected. Uh, island I mean, nations. I, no, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, and, 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 and this is also where I think this sort of the, 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 the old sort of national political borders that we have in mind just really aren't helpful anymore because these are global issues and we mm. need to talk about and we need to solve them globally. There is no way around this. And this requires an unprecedented um, um, level of collaboration. Um, I don't know if, you know, this, this old idea of the, the world government. I mean, I, I, I do think that it's time will come. So in a sense that this will need to come at some point, mm. right? Whatever form it takes. I mean, we have the UN, we have... We have COP, we have a number of bodies, but they're not enough. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's 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 gonna it's quite a journey, and it will be mm. uh, more of a journey, I think. Um, yeah, and I mean, on the uh, what what this research uh, on civilization collapse finds is also that climate change actually was one of the reasons for collapse. Oh, uh, right. Injustice, yeah, social injustice was one of those reasons mm. and th th this just sounds so familiar <clears throat> and i bet you those romans and greeks also thought they were you know amazing and 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 wouldn't ever go down i, I don't think they they had you know their expiry date in mind <laughs> um so yeah i think um we need to be much more humble much much more humble when it comes to our role yeah vis-a-vis uh, -vis nature and the planet and the system and you know the entire planetary system of course <laughs> I, I think that segues nicely into the final question which which i like to ask all guests the same question because i always get a different answer which is that <laughs> uh we're, we're obviously at this pivotal moment for climate change taking action on climate change so what from your perspective what do you think needs to happen or needs to change over the coming years to really yeah. set us on the right course yeah, I mean, so, you know, moving to Mars is not the option. Not, I mean, clearly, <laughs> I you know, agree. to make Mars um, a welcoming place is going to take, I don't know, a gazillion uh, times more effort than keeping planet Earth a place that's welcoming and, and provides for our needs and continues to provide services to us humans. Um, so, yes, I mean, we are at this pivotal moment. We are running out of time. But there is still time to prevent the worst. There is okay. a time to 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 sort of um, save our civilization, if you will. Um, first of all, everybody needs to understand the urgency of the issue mm. and to understand um, what's in it for them, right? So it's it's moving into crisis mode. We need people to understand that it's not five to twelve, but five past twelve or three past twelve, perhaps. <laughs> uh, and and beautifully, I mean, uh, well, COVID has the COVID crisis, you know, for has just shown that. If um, people want, they can totally take um, very, very drastic action. So um, I, I see it as a bit of a litmus test. Yeah, It mm. wasn't that we passed it with flying colors in terms of global collaboration or even just collaboration within the European Union. But um, this is it, it shows us that this is possible, right? Well, then next we need to really change this mind, our mindsets, our, our paradigms, right? Um, and And... Yeah, we, we need to many more people to understand that more money doesn't make them any happier, right? From mm. a certain point onwards, um, but actually intact nature does. Yeah, um, yeah, we need to break up the, 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 the you know we need to stop um, subsidizing the fossil fuel industry, breaking up these system structures, also making them transparent because this is something that a lot of people I think don't know yet. Um, and then really, really importantly, we need to go much, much further in calculating the cost of inaction right. uh, and pricing this into whatever it is we buy. 
And there are actually studies that show that um, that climate action can pay for itself. So the investments necessary, right, to keep climate change at bay, pay for themselves when you consider just the healthcare costs wow. that uh, climate change causes. Right. Yeah? So this economic argument, you know, when when yes, for an individual business, it might not be immediately obvious. It might be more obvious in the longer term, but for us as a society, it's just extremely clear. Right, mm. that this this cost and pricing thing is something we need to really, really sort of true cost accounting. Right, this is really something we need to get much, much better at. Um, I talked about education a lot. I think that's that's a really, really important point. And I would just add that I don't think we should wait until people go to university, and not everybody goes, does go to university. So it's really studying with you know kindergarten and primary school, and and studying with with the teachers, right? I mean, there, there tends to be a bit of a time lag. The teachers teach our children and the teacher at university were educated sometimes, you know, 10, right. 20, 30 years ago themselves by people who were educated even earlier. Right. And, and if we if they sort of carry those paradigms forward, uh, change is going to be really, really slow. Yeah. And then I do think this we need these strong governments that are able to resist corporate lobbying, right? And I, I, I you know, some corporations are great, but... It's just the fact that over the last 10, 15 years, corporations have become such so much more powerful, right? right. In terms of data, in terms of I mean, if you compare GDPs, for example, with, with annual turnovers, right? You have many more corporates now in the list of the top hundred, right? If you look at sort of um the the, the world's largest um um uh, economic entities. Yeah, um, there used to be, you know, a, a, a mostly c countries, and then you had a few, a, few, a few, a few corporations. Now, corporations start making it in the top ten. Wow, yeah, so this is really, and you know, and also talking in terms of in terms of um, um, uh, number of employees they have, right? I mean, Walmart, I think, has about two million employees. That's wow. more than some countries have in, have citizens. Incredible. Right? So this is really something. And then, of course, the, the power of cities, I think, needs to be mm. um, recognized. I mean, um, there's a lot we can say about Boris, but he was clearly among the first to recognize that a lot of power is in the cities, right? It's, it's, it's the talent that moves there. It's the money that moves there. It's also that a lot of opportunity, right, in terms of making things efficient, energy friendly, et cetera, yeah. providing good services. So there's a great opportunity there. Um, which then sometimes starts begging questions in terms of relative power of city governments, right, um, versus national uh, governments. But, but, but I think this is really something that that also the the whole COVID crisis has made us recognize that strong governments are a really good thing, and and um, you know they need to be able to 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 negotiate. We can't have, I mean, to go back to the. <laughs> Well, pharma company get negotiations, which didn't go so well with 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 European Union, right? Mm. Um, uh, governments need to keep to, to be sort of to, to be able to 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 fulfill the stewardship role and to, to, mm. to be in the driving seat. I think that's really important. And then, yes, finally, really this optimistic language yeah, that I think is important, and also um, to not. Um, well, well. Sometimes you know, people that so far have very much worked, um, say in business, for example, right, and that they and they were feeling more, they were feeling they were doing a great thing by I don't know selling more phone contracts or whatever it is. Um, to really pick them up where they are, I don't know if this is in a proper English expression, mm. but we use it in German a lot to to really understand where they're coming from and to show okay. them that even small changes are 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 important. 
uh, and that they can do it. And 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 because I think sometimes, you know, as environmentalists, I don't know if if you're one. I mean, I sometimes call myself an environmentalist. Um, but a bigger picture environmentalist forget about that too. Sometimes right. there's a lot of radical language, right, mm. about systems change, which is which, which is really important. But I think it can also alienate people. So we need to really alienate yeah. people, right? So we can we need to we need to keep this this optimism, this this you can do it and you're important kind of language. Right. Amazing. That's loads of food for thought there. That's that's really great. Um, where can people find out more about you and your book? So I have a website, um, which is www.aliceschmidt.at. Um, but more so easy to remember um, by far is sustainability-puzzle.org. Okay. This is where people can find out more about the book. They can get the uh, electronic versions, Kindle or whatever, and they can get it on um other platforms such as Amazon, but also a more sustainable platform called lulu.com. 